Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Financial Freedom Classroom. I am John Locke, owner of Locke and Your Success LLC. We do stock options training uh, for coaches and uh, education. I'm also a master practitioner of neurolinguistic programming and a strategic intervention coach. We're here with uh, here with my wife Sherry. She has managed many successful businesses in the education, automotive, real estate, computer consulting, and coaching worlds. We're also active real estate investors. We've done spec home building, rehab rentals, things like that, and we provide loans and guidance to small businesses. Just before we get going, we just want to let you know that the, present, the information in the presentation is for informational purposes only. We're not accountants or broker-dealers or anything, attorneys or anything like that, and any information here should be taken uh, as opinions only and verified with the proper professional. For now, I am going to introduce my wife, Sherry. Hello. Good evening, everybody. Uh, I, I, we're thrilled tonight to have uh, 1031 information and also a little bit about REITs, too, with Scott Saunders from Asset Preservation. Scott has been doing this for 28 years uh, in the exchange industry and obviously is an expert, has written books and articles on the subject. And also tonight, we have Christina Nielsen from Corpica. I'm sorry if I said that wrong, Christina. That's fine. Corpica. <laughs> no problem. Corpica. Um, 1031 Advisors. And she's here as well, and she can talk a little bit more about REITs, 1031 Exchanges, and REITs as well. So we are fortunate to have both these two here tonight. So thank you guys for, for joining us. Great to be with you. Great. And I'm just, I'm just going to jump right into the slideshow because I know uh, we have a ton of information here for you guys. So we'll have that. Great. So you put up the uh, pull up the first slide, and this is Scott, obviously, um, and Christine is going to be talking a little bit later about a very specialized product. It's one of the most um, rapidly growing niches in the 1031 world. Uh, we're covering a lot of information, so as the slides come up, we're going to talk about first of all selling appreciated properties. So you'll see that on the the second slide that'll be coming up. There are a number of different tax code provisions to sell property and have some tax advantages. The first one is what you'll see on there and the, on the next slide down that's being pulled up is a 1031 exchange. That's the focus of what we're talking about today. And we're going to cover a lot of information in a very short time period related to exchanges. So that deals with property held for investment um, or used in a trade or business. A couple other provisions. IRC section 1033 comes into play with what's known as an involuntary conversion. So sometimes that's when maybe a government uh, entity is going to take some property. Many of you are probably familiar with IRC Section 121. That's the sale of a principal residence, the house you live in. If you've lived in it for two out of the past five years, you can exclude gain um, up to 250000 if you're single, half a million if you're married. And then finally, there's another provision that you've probably heard, heard of called seller financing or the installment sale provision. That's IRC Section 453. And that's where you can pay your taxes over time as you receive payments when you sell a property. Basically, you kind of self-finance it. Now, on the next slide, you're going to see we talk about what I call the perfect storm for 1031 exchanges. And what investors are facing is they're really facing an environment of much higher capital gain taxes. In fact, capital gain taxes percentage-wise went up 58% back in 2013. So the tax burden is much higher for investors, and you'll see that that includes the addition of the what's called the net investment income tax under Section 1411. And then if you add to that, you've got a great real estate market. 
Um, you've got the commercial market, which is doing very, very well. And the residential market, you know, in most places around the country, has recovered very well. So real estate investors are facing significant appreciation. They've got rents that are going up. And the bottom line is they're looking for ways to reduce their tax burden. Now, in the next slide, you're going to see what you face in taxes if you don't do a 1031 exchange. So you really got four different components of taxation that you'll see on the next slide coming up. You've got taxes on the depreciation recapture at 25%. So you know, that's something a lot of people don't take into account, but that's a significant additional tax. You've got federal capital gain taxes at either 20 or 15%, depending upon your taxable income. Then the, what we call the Medicare surtax or the net investment income tax is an additional 3.8% tax for certain investors that fall over certain income thresholds. And we'll look at that in a moment. And then finally, you've got to add in the state tax. So you might be in a state with um, no taxes at all. Um, but if you're in California, where Christina is, the highest tax rate there is 13.3%. In states like Minnesota and New Jersey and Illinois and New York um, and other states have very high tax rates. So you've got to add together all four of those components to really look at what you're facing. And, and it's a huge tax hit if you don't do an exchange and just sell and pay the taxes. Now on the next slide, you'll see capital gain taxes at the federal level. And what we have is we had a new 20% rate that was added into the code. So for investors that are over 400,000, a single filer, over 400,000 in income, they're now facing this 20% rate. And then married couples filing jointly over 450,000 face this. So just look at that right off the bat. If you're a married couple, you've got a significant marriage tax penalty. And then the old rate of 15% does remain. On the next slide, you'll see the Medicare surtax. This was added to finance or partially paid for health care reform. So this applies, and you'll notice in the blue, it includes capital gain. So capital gain is what's considered unearned income or net investment income. So if you're a, uh, an investor, with a single filer over 200000 in income or some married couple filing jointly over 250000 you're also going to face this tax. Now, the next slide I'll just touch upon quickly. I said the market was so good. You'll see the investment real estate market, the commercial market on the next slide. Prices right now, and a lot of people are surprised with this, are up 24% above the previous market peak. So a lot of investors that bought at the bottom on commercial real estate, and the next slide should be coming up here, they're significantly up. And then follow that on the slide after that with the residential market. So if you go to the next slide, you'll see that residential prices have recovered in most places. And right now, they're forecast to go up about 5.5%. Um, single family rents are up about 4% year over year. So it's a great market. So let's go on to the next slide, which is IRC Section 1031 Exchange is the focus of today's talk. This is an aspect of the tax code that allows investors to have a significant tax advantage. Um, if you could, Sherry, advance the slide. I need you to advance a, a couple more slides. It would be great. Um, uh, I, I, I am advancing. Scott, I just for some reason, the video must be a little bit slow. I'm actually on IRC 1031 exchanges right now. Okay, perfect. Um, and then on the, next, on the next slide, you'll see what are the options available to investors. And really, you've got three options. You know, one is just hold on to property. So if you had convinced that, John, you can just sit on property and, you know, as the market's coming back, and that could be a good strategy, but there's also an opportunity cost with that. 
that if you're not in an area with a lot of job growth and a lot of appreciation, you might be missing out on significant upside. You know, and that's the whole purpose of investing in real estate is you want to have a, as good of a rate of return as you can. The next option is you could sell the property, pay all those four taxes that I just went through. The trick there is you're going to then have to invest money into investments outside of real estate. And it's very difficult to get as good of a return after paying all your taxes as you could with a 1031 exchange where you've got tax deferred dollars being reinvested. And then the final option is you can do a 1031 exchange. And you can do a fully deferred exchange, and you'll see on the screen there you can also do a partially deferred exchange. So just keep in mind that it's not an all or nothing proposition. You can have full tax deferral, you can have partial tax deferral. Now on the next slide you'll see the code itself. And, and by the way, the code came about back in 1921. So we're talking about something that's been a part of the tax code for a long time. And the code simply says this as the slide comes up. No gain or loss shall be recognized on the exchange of property held for productive use in a trade or business or for investment if such property is exchanged solely for property of like kind, which is to be held either for productive use in a trade or business or for investment. So this is called a non-recognition. It's not a tax-free exchange. It's tax-deferred. And we'll start looking at it in a moment. What is like-kind property? You're going to see it's very, very broad. And that's where Christina is going to come in and talk about what are known as Delaware Statutory Trust and you know some, some really interesting options available for investors that really solve a lot of needs in the marketplace. Now, in the next slide, you'll see some exceptions. The first one is stock and trade or other property held primarily for sale. We call that dealer property. And then the fourth one down is an interest in a partnership. So any entity can do an exchange. A partnership can, an LLC, an S-Corp, a C-Corp, an individual, a trust. But a partnership interest is considered personal property, even though the partnership owns real property. So you can't do an exchange into or out of a partnership interest. And one thing I want to touch upon that's similar, and we get a lot of questions on, which is can you do a 1031 exchange into a REIT? A REIT is a real estate investment trust. So, um, John, if you could advance to the next slide. The answer is no, you can't. A REIT, at the entity level, they own the REIT owns real estate. But a share in a REIT is considered personal property. Very similar analysis to a partnership or LLC um, type holding. So in terms of understanding REITs, and we just wanted to touch upon that, because you can own real estate directly by owning a single-family rental or a commercial property. When you own a REIT share, the REIT owns a very diverse portfolio of properties. And they might be in certain asset classes. It could be office, industrial, you know, self-storage, a lot of different types. But you get the benefit of owning real estate by owning shares in a REIT. And you've got the potential for not only cash flow uh, with that, but also appreciation um, with those being managed. There are publicly traded REITs are probably the bulk of the marketplace. But there are also things that are known as non-traded REITs out there, um, you know, a private or non-traded REIT that you can go into. So there are a number of different ways to get in and participate with investment real estate. One is through direct ownership, another way to be through fractional ownership like a DST, and a REIT is another uh, opportunity that's available to you. Now on the next slide, you're going to see something called like-kind property. And like-kind property is just simply any real property held for productive use in the trader business or for investment exchange for any other property held the same way. And John, you're going to have to click along here. There's some images that should be cut, that should be advancing in. 
So you'll see on the screen, lifetime property could be commercial property, it could be residential, it could even be a vacation home that's held for investment purposes. It could be bare land. A lot of different types of things could be lifetime property. So if you look on the next slide that's being that comes up, the property that is excluded would be the house you live in, your primary residence, or property that's being held for sale purposes or for resale, considered dealer property. Other than that, when you're dealing with real estate, lifetime property is very, very broad. Any property you hold for investment purposes or in your business can be exchanged for any other property held the same way. Um, and John, if you could advance the slide, that'd be great. Personal property, and I won't go into much detail, um, can also be exchanged so you can have collectible artwork. Um, you can have all sorts of different types of things, collectible cars, a lot of different types of personal property assets, things that are a little bit more restrictive. And with that, John, if you'd advance the next slide, um, I'd like to turn this over to Christina, who's going to talk to you about um, Delaware Statutory Trust. Perfect. Thank you so much, Scott. So fractional ownership of real estate is another item that would also qualify for your 1031 exchange. So what that means is you go out and you buy 1% or 5% of a much larger commercial property, whether it be a retail center, a Class A apartment complex, what have you, you're buying a percentage of it because the 1031 law doesn't limit you in terms of number of properties. It's really about timing and dollar amounts. So uh, we'll talk a little bit more about how this works within the tax code. When you go into these fractional ownership deals, there, there are many benefits and there's also some risks to consider. But we have a perfect storm, especially here in California, where you have aging baby boomers with a lot of property and a lot of equity in those properties and they're tired of ownership and they don't want to pay the 40 to 50% tax that they would have to pay if they sold the property. But they're also very interested in simplifying their lifestyle. So they go into the fractional deals because they want to diversify, they want to be in multiple asset classes, perhaps they have a lot of property on Balboa Island in Southern California, they want to be diversified in different cities and different states. So there's a lot of reasons that people go into these. Also, they're completely passive in terms of ownership. You will never get a call about you know, the, the sink or something stopped up. So it's perfectly passive, which they like. And then typically, depends on what they were getting, we may be able to increase the cash flow that they received when they were managing the property themselves. Um, but there also are some risks you have to consider, and that really goes along the lines of typical real estate risks, you know, Delaware Statutory Trust is one structure, or a DST, but real estate risks exist for that as well. Then also you have illiquidity while the property is held. Um, there's a lack of control in the structure, and we'll go into that a little bit more. Um, and then there's fees to consider. So with all things that have benefits, you have to consider the risk and determine if it's right for you. So this whole industry really exploded starting back in 2002 when we received the Revenue Procedure 2002-22 in which the IRS gave us guidelines on how to structure doing these types of fractional investments. Now, since 2008, the real premier way to own fractional is Delaware Statutory Trust. That one got a revenue ruling, which is slightly stronger IRS guidance called 2004-86. And that gives us the guidance on how to structure Delaware statutory trusts so that they are likely to qualify for 1031 exchange replacement property. You can go to the ADISA website. You can go to my website. The contact information is on there and learn a lot about them. There are similars, 
similarities and differences between the DSTs and the TICs. On the TIC, you could only have 35 investors. You took actual deeded interest to the property. You had voting rights. Um, there were some differences in that, but very few companies are structuring TICs anymore. They're mostly doing the DSTs, Delaware Statutory Trust. And in these, you really are giving control to the sponsor to make um, any leasing decisions, sales decisions, things like that. So you want to make sure the sponsors you work with are the very best in the marketplace, that they have a long-term track record, that they take care of investors, communicate, and they have a history of returning all the money back, um, giving profits and giving cash flow along the way. Of course, that's not guaranteed, and past performance is never a guarantee of future performance, but looking to the sponsor and their long-term history is as critical as looking at the real estate when you're dealing in the Delaware statutory trust space. So it's very important to look at that. Um, the other thing is you're really relying on that sponsor to make good decisions for you in the, in the property. So people like to be in these because it is perfectly passive. It's just it's a very easy ownership structure. And it's really the best of both worlds in the sense you're deferring all your taxes, right? You're not having to pay those capital gains and all the other taxes that Scott spoke about, but you're also getting out of property management and you're diversifying. So you can see why there's a lot of interest in this particular space. Um, a couple of caveats, so you must be an accredited investor in order to get into these DSTs, meaning your net worth is typically a million or greater aside from your personal residence equity. So not everybody qualifies. Um, some people put cash directly into the DSTs. They start off with cash, not 1031 exchange funds, but then when that property sells, they have the opportunity to 1031 exchange any gain they've made over that five to 10 year hold period. So those are, some people come in and quite frankly, it's about 85, 90% come in with exchange funds, but there are some people that start out with cash. Um, one very big benefit is the, the loans that we have on the Delaware Statutory Trust is just one borrower. So if you had debt on the property that you sold, Scott will go into this, you have to maintain that debt going forward and we can do that in the Delaware Statutory Trust program and it's totally non-recourse debt. You do not personally guarantee it, which is another big benefit. So I think that really goes through the, the fractional ownership and, and the benefits. So I'll go ahead and pass this back over to Scott. Thank you, Christina. And by the way, at the end, you're going to have Christina's contact information. She is, you know, one of the premier people in the entire country on this type of uh, product and these type of investments. So if you want to get more information, certainly reach out to her at the end. On the next slide, if you advance it, John, so the one that says intent to open investment, one thing I wanted to bring up is that there's no mandatory holding period. It's all about your intent to hold for investment. So the time period you hold is certainly important, but really your uh, investment intent. So John is the one that says intent to hold for investment. That's the key issue. And um, you know most CPAs and attorneys would recommend maybe holding for one or two years in an ideal world. But um, you really have to kind of look at the intent of the investor. Now the one the next slide after this is called the exchange equation, and this is what Christina was getting at. If you want full tax deferral, you really need to do two things. Um, and so on the next slide called the exchange equation, you need to reinvest all net exchange proceeds. So that's after closing costs, real estate commissions, all of those things. And then two, acquire property with the same or a greater amount of debt. So if you do those two things, you have what's called a fully deferred exchange. 
to the extent you put money, you pull money out. That's called cash boot. That's money you pull out cash. Another type of boot is called mortgage boot or debt relief, and that's if you go down in debt. Those are taxable to the extent that you have capital gain. So if you look at an example on the screen here, sell a property for nine hundred thousand, debt is three hundred thousand, closing cost of sixty thousand, leave a net equity of five hundred and forty. And then John, if you'd advance it, will come up on what we call the replacement property you go into. One point two million is the value. The debt goes from three hundred thousand to six hundred and sixty, and all net equity is reinvested. So if you advance that one more time, John, you'll see that there in this one there is no boot at all. This is a fully deferred exchange um, on the screen. Now, on the next slide, John, you'll see one that is the same sales price, but the investor goes in and buys a property for $700,000. So their debt goes from $300,000 to $260,000. So there's $40,000 of mortgage boot. Their net equity, they received $540,000 net equity. They only reinvested 440,000, so there's 100,000 of mortgage boot. I'm sorry, cash boot. Add those two together, there's 140,000 of boot in this example. So um, you certainly want to talk to your CPA. Some investors might have uh, carry forward losses that they can use to offset boot. Now, on the next slide, you'll see what we call the delayed exchange, and this is the process. At the top is the taxpayer. They're going to sell a property, get it under contract prior to closing. They're going to contact what's called a qualified intermediary, sometimes referred to as a QIO facilitator. We, through an assignment of the contract, we step into the shoes and we sell the property to the buyer, receive the money. Then they look for a property they want to buy. That contract, get it under contract, that's assigned to the qualified intermediary. The intermediary now steps into the shoes as a buyer and purchases the property. And if you look at the slides, you'll see that the title goes directly from the investor at the top to the buyer and from the seller to the investor. So the intermediary really sells what we call the relinquished property. The intermediary buys the replacement property. Now, there's some timeline at the bottom. Day zero starts, and I'm trying to advance to the next slide, time requirements. Day zero starts when the property closes. And the taxpayer has 45 calendar days to identify property. So that's what's called the identification period. And this timeline is really set in stone. You've got till midnight of the 45th day to identify. And then the total time period is what's called the 180-day exchange period. The taxpayer has a maximum of 180 calendar days to close on property that they've identified. Um, and as you'll see the little caveat, it's 180 days or the date the taxpayer must file its tax return for the year of the transfer of the relinquished property, whichever is earlier. So you'll hear these referred to as the 45 and 180 day rules. On the next slide, you'll see the identification rules. There are numerous ways to do this. You can use what's called the three property rule, identify up to three properties of any fair market value. So that's one option. You can take advantage of what's called the 200% rule, where you can identify an unlimited number of properties, but no more than 200% of the value of what was sold. So if I sell for a million, I can identify as many as I want under the 200% rule as long as I don't go over $2 million in value. And then finally, there's one called the 95% rule, which says the taxpayer identifies more than three properties and over 200% of value, but it then must close on 95% of the value of all properties identified. So that one's it has been used. I've actually done it personally, but it's probably the rarest. 
the three property rule is a good approach. And and by the way, just something that Christina didn't touch upon, but a lot of times people might identify a DST property as maybe their third option. Maybe they're not sure if they're going to like the property uh, as they do due diligence, and it gives them a backup option um, in their exchange because a lot of times these sponsors own the asset and they can carve out a slice of it for the investors. So that's another area where the DSTs are, are really attractive and really help make exchanges a little bit easier. Now on the next slide, this is something called parking arrangements. So we talked about, this. these are called the delayed exchange process. So you sell, you have up to 45 calendar days to identify the place of the property, plus another 135 days for a total of 180 to close on that in a delayed exchange. Under the next slide you see come up, there are some other options that are out there. They're called parking arrangements because the qualified intermediary, or actually a, an affiliate owned by the intermediary, is parked on title. So a very popular one is what's called a reverse exchange. A reverse exchange is used when you want to buy the replacement property before you sell the relinquished property. So you've got maybe a maybe it's a market where it's a seller's market, or maybe the investor really wants that property, and they've got to close on it before they close on the sale. So it's really in reverse order. You buy the, the replacement property and then have 180 days to sell the relinquished property. The improvement exchange is one where you can build a brand new property from the ground up. You can make refurbishments to an existing property. And then another option is what's called the reverse improvement exchange. This is where you buy the new property first, start making improvements to it before you sell the relinquished property within 180 days. So I just wanted to touch upon some other strategies. These are um, considerably more complex and more costly, but there are a number of options. You can do a simultaneous exchange. You can do a delayed exchange, which is probably what 97% of the transactions are. You can do a reverse exchange, an improvement exchange, or a reverse improvement. On the slide coming up here, the one with exchanges facing uncertain future, um, I'm just going to briefly touch upon these, but in the interest of corporate tax reform, uh, driving down corporate rates, uh, tax rates from 35% to 25%. There have been some proposals recently that maybe would affect 1031 exchanges. And I'm not going to go into all the details, but um, on the House side, um, there was a proposal to eliminate 1031 exchanges by Dave Camp a couple of years ago. Um, There's also one on the Senate side to eliminate exchanges. And then the President, President Obama, in his budget proposals the last three years, has proposed capping exchanges at a million dollars of gain that can be deferred in the most amount, and then also eliminating exchanges of uh, collectibles and other personal property assets. So I just wanted to draw your attention to the fact that there are some interesting things kind of going on back in Washington, D.C. You'll see on the slide that's on the screen there that there was a study done by Ernst & Young that said that if exchanges happen to be eliminated, the negative impact on the economy would be the somewhere between 60 to $130 billion. Because really a lot of people just wouldn't sell if they can take advantage of a 1031 exchange. Um, finally, on the next slide, if you want to learn more about this, there's a wonderful website called 1031taxreform.com. And you can learn more about these issues as they're taking place. And then with that, um, I think we're getting pretty close to the end of the time. What I want to do on the next slide You've got the contact, the contact information for Christina, and um, 
Uh, Christine, anything you want to do as that comes up? Um, anything you want to talk about how you can help investors out, answering questions, anything along those lines that you want to discuss? Sure. Yeah, so if anybody is looking to potentially do a 1031 exchange and has questions about the actual exchange process, I'm happy to help, or you can ask Scott. Scott does that intermediary portion, right, where they hold the funds, and then I would help you potentially with the replacement property as fractional ownership. So you can go on my website, which is on there, corecappa.com. There's a lot of information about fractional ownership and 1031 exchanges, but I would be happy to speak with you about if it makes sense for you. Um, and maybe you don't have an exchange. Maybe you're looking to put cash into real estate um, and start that way. And if that's the case, give me a call. My number is on there. My line is 949-722-1031. I was just going to okay, point something I'll... quickly up. Christina, the, you have properties all over the country, right? We do. Wondering. So um, I did a, it's really funny, I've been in the business for 12 years, but I did an analysis just on Monday. We've done 400 fractional real estate closings in the last 12 years. So that many investors, some of them bought one, some of them might have bought 10. Um, and then I have clients in 23 states. So even though I'm in Southern California, I have worked with clients in 23 states, and then we have property probably in another 23 states. So typically the clients are not buying in their own state, and we do have some people that want to focus on tax-free states. There are seven states that don't have an income tax, and sometimes we can accommodate that as well. So it really depends. For example, I have a client right now. They're in Connecticut. They're looking to move to Florida, and they also want to make all their investments for replacement property in tax-free states, too. So we're trying to accommodate that. Great. Excellent. And then, on the, and then on the very last slide, you've got questions. Um, you've got the contact information for Absolute Preservation. Our website is apiexchange.com, and our toll-free number is 800-282-1031. As an intermediary, we can't give tax legal advice, but we can help talk about your situation, walk you through the rules and the regulations. We've got a lot of materials. So you know, our job is to kind of guide you through the exchange. A lot of times people have never done an exchange. We try and make you aware of the 45 days, provide forms to identify property on, really kind of holds your hand through the whole process. So that's, you know, even though we hold the money and prepare the exchange documents, really our greater role is to kind of walk you through the process. We realize a lot of investors have never been to an exchange. And to kind of wrap up, I just want to leave with you the fact that exchanges are becoming so, so popular because it's a great way to reinvest your money into better performing properties without paying any capital gain taxes at all. So it, it really gives investors a much better rate of return. The rules are pretty straightforward, and you've got experts like Christina and um, myself at Asset Preservation to help walk you through the process, show you different types of replacement property, and uh, really make everything very straightforward. So with that, you know, I want to turn this back to Sherry and John Locke, and um, really, you know, Christine and I thank you for the opportunity to talk a little bit about 1031 exchanges and DST replacement properties. Yeah, that was great. Thank you. Fantastic. Thank you, thank you very much. We, we would certainly want to um, encourage anybody who is in, who's interested in that to contact Scott or Christina um, on that information because they are the experts in that arena. I think it's pretty exciting though uh, to keep more of what you've earned for a longer period of time so that you can earn more. Right. Yeah, the, the tax savings are incredible. <laughs> it's truly, especially for the high tax states like Hawaii, Connecticut, California, I mean you're talking 40 to 50 percent 
of what you've made over the years can go to government authorities. So definitely plan ahead, contact your tax advisors, call Scott, um, you know, get your ducks in a row so you can defer and not pay this tax. And then the other thing we didn't say, there's also this element of the step-up basis. So we're talking about tax deferral, but, you know, if you pass away, you know, in your 80s and 90s, your children may receive the properties at the stepped-up basis in value, and there may never be tax due. It's a very powerful wealth-building strategy. Mm, excellent. Well, we greatly appreciate your time. you guys taking the time to, to present this to us, and we will certainly have this recording up for others to enjoy as well. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Thanks. Have a good night. Okay. We're just gonna, yep, and we're just going to wrap up with uh, our last slides here. So um, there's Scott and Christina again, and so we thank them. So it, you can join us at our blog and on Facebook, and also you can send in any financial questions to Sherry at Financial Freedom Classroom, and we will certainly answer all of those. So if you feel this information would be uh, important to some of the people in your life, please share that with them. And um, so next time, John, you want to go ahead, you, you speak it. Okay. We're going to have Dave Thomas here, who is one of my mentors for app Rapid Options Learning. He's going to show you a little bit about uh, how to trade market neutral strategies. And if you're not familiar with options, he has a very rapid way to get somebody who knows virtually nothing about options to get them up to speed. So Dave's a specialist at that, and he'll be here next, uh, next, uh, next month. That's awesome. I can't wait. I had a session with Dave, and I'm going to uh, get that recorded and up on YouTube also. But it was uh, it was great. It helped me a ton to understand more and really just quickly get up to speed a little bit on how it works. So I am excited yeah, for that. Yep, so it's going to be great. Something you should definitely tune in for. Great. Well, we um, appreciate everybody's time. Time. Yeah, we appreciate your time, and thank you. And we wish you a good night. We'll see you next month.